This is A Fresh Agenda. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity and generate your deepest work. Here's your host, Christina Mendonza. This is A Fresh Agenda, where I talk to innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. I'm Christina Mendonza. Welcome to this little space in the digital universe. Uh, Today's conversation is going to be a little bit more raw. Uh, I'm excited to talk to this guy and and have you meet him as well. You know that I do talk to all sorts of people in different industries. We've talked to celebrity chefs and we've talked to talk show hosts like uh, Jay Leno. We've had, uh, you know, Kate White was our most recent guest who was the editor of Cosmo Magazine. And they're they're really the only rule for this uh, program in terms of guests would be innovators, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and people I'm interested in. That's pretty much it. And I'm really interested in this guy, Charlie LaDuff. I uh, ran across him many years ago. He's a reporter out of Detroit. Very interesting storytelling style. He was a national reporter for the Fox show, The Americans, and also worked for The New York Times. He won a Pulitzer there. And he's really interesting because he's this combination of, you know, rust belts, grew up, uh, you know, blue collar neighborhood, uh, not afraid to get his hands dirty, whether it's a story or working at a slaughterhouse or what he's doing now, working as a handyman, which he'll talk about. Uh, But he also has the uh, University of Michigan and Berkeley credentials. And uh, he has a Pulitzer to his name and many, many other awards and a very uh, smart um, intricate storytelling style, and he's going to talk a little bit about that. But he has a new book out. It's called Shit Show. The country is collapsing and the ratings are great. Uh, but unlike so many other people who call themselves journalists and are actually just more opinion commentators, he's he's got the credentials. He's actually a journalist. He's got the gravitas, as they say. Um, and he's going to talk more about his experiences, a little bit about what's in the book, and then about uh, you know some people that we mutually have admired. Um, Anthony Bourdain. I, I saw him on Anthony Bourdain's show uh, before Bourdain passed away, so he'll talk a little bit about, about um, Bourdain and, and give us some insight there. And just a very interesting guy. So on the same day that I interviewed Charlie, I had a chance to talk to this uh, very young woman, just graduated from college with a journalism degree. She got her first television job in Denver, which is like unheard of usually. I mean, Denver's not a starter market, but she's got her first job there. Um, It's the same station, coincidentally, where I worked in the 90s. And she's about to fly from the East Coast to the West Coast because she's doing a project out here on the West Coast in San Francisco. And she called to ask me about story ideas and so forth. Um, But what I didn't know is that uh, the people she's doing this for are turning her loose on the streets of San Francisco with a very expensive camera uh, and Uber. She's going to be Ubering all over the place. And so, you know, I I had to tell her, okay, the story's exciting and all, but you have to be careful because crews in San Francisco are being robbed. Uh, You know, people that are on three-man crews are hiring armed guards to go out with them because they're being robbed and they're being assaulted. Um, So... It was an interesting conversation we were having about the business and then, you know, the business of journalism as well. And her idealism and her freshness were so in contrast with uh, Charlie, who has many layers and a lot of depth. And it just struck me as odd that we all exist in the same industry. It's so apples and oranges, where she is and where he is and where I am, um, the kind of extreme ends of the continuum. And... 
before we get into Charlie's interview, I need to tell you, though, about New Age Aerial, and you will be so proud of any project you bring them in on. Whatever you need from the sky, pictures, video, high definition, even 4K, they've got you covered. New Age Aerial offers superior drone services of all kinds, and the team has like 50 years combined remote control experience with fixed-wing, rotary, multi-engine vehicles on both the land and the water. Combine that with all the latest in digital photography, and you have gorgeous pictures or video. The CEO of New Age Aerial is Dave, and he is fantastic to work with. His team loves what they do, so if you need either breathtaking still pictures or video for a film, a project, maybe you're into real estate, Maybe you want gorgeous uh, aerial photos of your wedding. Whatever you need, Dave will exceed your expectations. So give him and his team a call or look him up online. That's New Age Aerial, 916-645-3474 or newageaerial.com. Okay, we're going to chat with Charlie LaDuff. Uh, he is uh, kind of a, a journalism spirit animal. He has uh, a lot of guts and a lot of experience and a lot of great stories. So we have different styles for sure, but I love how he just inserts you into the experiences of the people, gets you to look at things from behind their eyes, makes you think about all of those things that we all want for our own lives and our own families, no matter where you live and what you do. So here we go with Charlie. And by the way, I, there, there was no introduction. There was no countdown. Um, he just picked up the phone and we started chatting. Hey, how are you? Where are you at? I'm in California. Whereabouts? Uh, Northern California, Sacramento area, north of San Francisco. I used to live in uh, Oakland. I, you went to Berkeley, right? That's when you lived there? Okay. Yep. That's right. I was born in Oakland and um, lived in the Bay Area, too, but I'm in Sacramento now. As my old uh, pal, the governor of California, would call it Sacramento. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I met his maid. Oh, you did? Oh, I sure did. Wow. Well, what'd you think? Well, I was wondering what the hell, how is it you can serve guests uh, warmed over taquitos? Boy, this is real chummy. Uh-huh. Little did I know. Right, right. She was serving up something else. I guess she was. <laughs> well, it's good to talk to you. I've got you rolling now, so it looks like our levels are great. Um, read the book, and uh, I didn't get all, I'll be honest, I didn't get all the way through it because I've been listening to it, which I, lo- I love audiobooks, especially when the author reads it, because I just feel like, I felt like I was just sitting there with you in a bar, like after a reporting shift, just like listening to stories. It was really, it, it was great to listen to. That's awesome. Because, you know, I mean, when I was, my first book, I didn't even know there was an audio book, and that, that's the Detroit, right? So that's a really personal one. And so they have some actor, you know, reading as me, which I never listened to, but I don't like the idea of it. So this one, I definitely wanted to do it. Right. Tell me what, in, I mean, you took this trip around the country, you, you met all of these people, heard their stories, kind of saw, you know, the, the impact of global trade and, uh, and, and talked to these people, really got into their lives. What inspired you to take all of that and put it together in the book? What did you see that you wanted to say that needed to be said? I just felt that I don't know a book that chronicles America from the streets, from, from the people from their blood, their stories, right? Their anguish, their, their fears, their children. I don't really know one. I know there's a lot of stuff from on down high, from on high looking down, guessing who we are or, you know, what the, what the panic really is in the streets. And I just figured, well, I'm going to do that. There, there's a gap for that. And plus I just needed to get it out because when it's all said and done, 
these are my people. The majority are my people. The blacks, the whites, the Latinos, the reds, you know, the yellows, all of us. You're my people. And I'm not scared. And I don't think the American adult is is afraid about the future, but we're really worried about our children. We're really worried. Where's this going? We don't even know what the government's plan with the money is. You know what I mean? Like we're borrowing, we're, we're printing money, we're borrowing it from ourselves. The stock market's at an all-time high. Real estate's back, yet nobody's really making any money. Where's it going? And then they throw statistics at us like, uh, this is the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. But it's also one of the highest um, non-participation rates in the workforce in that time. If you take out the top 10% of earners, the bottom 90% has not gotten a raise in 20 years. Medical costs are going up. What are we going to do? How's my kid going to get educated? What's going on? That's why I felt I had to do it. And, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a really solid chronicle of, of the times. Really, it, it really is a kind of a connective tissue between what, what people are dealing with in their everyday lives and what we're, we're hearing from government officials. So, so kind of tying it all together. Like the point in the book where you talk about you were with your photographers, you were in Mexico, and you saw the, um, I don't know if it was a box or an ad or something for Delphi. And you I thought saw the factory. You saw, okay, you saw the factory, and you're like, "That's that's my that's a piece of Detroit. That's my hometown. That's down here." And and there, these folks are dealing with kind of poverty that I'm seeing now in my hometown with with folks up there dealing with. So it really was kind of a connective tissue that that showed, you know, one place that we consider third world and one place that we consider first world, and how they were the same. Yes, I mean, if if you you have women and children coming over looking for a better life, right? And my supposition, what I've seen and what I know about America is that we don't hate them. You know what I mean? 95% of us understand. But if you go into Detroit or Flint, what you will hear people of all colors say is, yeah, wait a minute, because we haven't figured out what we're going to do with our kids. Our schools don't work. Our water is poisoned. Our roads are collapsing. Where's all the money? So if you don't mind, please wait a moment. I think that's fair, but it's being manipulated and it's being twisted into a, you know, a race war, a culture war. And it's simply about trying to hold on and and feed your babies, you know, and I resent, I do. I resent the leadership. I resent the media for, for making it that because it's a little more nuanced than, you know, Trump has uncorked the rednecks here. It's not like that. Not what I see. And going back to, you know, Mexico, when the women and kids were coming over, we're standing on the Rio there. I'm in a speedo. I'm actually kayaking through the smuggling route just to be a, a, you know, (laughs) jerk about it, just to give you some images and I noticed that gleaming, the gleaming factories. And I said, hey, that's Delphi. Hey, wait a minute. NAFTA's 20 years old. They all promised us, all of them, the Bushes, the Clintons, the, the Obamas, right? They promised us this was going to lift all boats. There would be no reason for people to risk their lives to find a better life. That, you know, we're all going to do well. Then you realize, I go over to Mexico, 
where the United States consulate has pulled out because Reynosa is too dangerous. Big shoot-ups in the street, narco wars, right? The borders, the borders, another country, all to itself. But you go, you go into where the, uh, to where the factory workers in Mexico live, and they live in cinder block huts where they, they relieve themselves in buckets, and they share a power cord, and you look at their first world paychecks, they make a dollar an hour, not $6 an hour like they tell you in the newspapers. And then you say, Delphi, that used to be AC Delco, that used to be Flint, that factory employed 10,000 people. Those were an awful lot of paychecks and benefits, and you go up to Flint to where that place used to stand, and there's a forlorn trailer park where all the children's teeth are red because the water's so fetid that they're mixing it with Kool-Aid to get it down their throats. And two days later is the first boil water advisory because the Flint water is garbage and it's poisoned. And why did that happen? Because that was a public works project where contractors and trade unions and politicians all got fat. Well, we all got sick. What's not to be angry about? Right. Oh, by the way, hello, California. I love you. <laughs> and your water is screwed up. Yes. What, wait a minute. California is the richest place in the world. Or is it? How can this be? This can't be. But it is. So let me get you the name, the name of your book, because I haven't said it yet. Uh, Shit Show, The Country's Collapsing, and The Ratings Are Great. Why are the ratings great? Do you really think the ratings are great? Do people even trust reporters? Well, the ratings aren't great because everybody's leaving in droves, right? Mm-hmm. You, you work TV, I work TV. We know the right. ratings aren't great. Right. They're not great at all. In fact, they voted. You guys suck. You don't really say anything locally specifically. You're giving me murder, murder, murder. You don't tell me why we can't solve murders or, you know, et cetera. But the ratings are a little bit better. They've had a bump because, you know, the Trump show and before Trump, like, well, let me put it this way. Barack Obama, America's first black president, right? At the end of his term, the, the inner cities were burning, right? They were burning. Remember? I do. Okay. Now, apparently we have the orange guy and he's a racist. That's what we're told. Why aren't the cities burning? Hmm. Could it be the economy is a little bit better and people have some empty calories? Certainly. Or could it also be, going back to your point about the ratings being great, we dumped that shit show. All right, we're going to go there. We're going to encourage people to go berserk. Here's the camera. Burn something for me, baby. Right? We got tired of that because now we got Trump. He's much easier to do. It's much easier like just to whip on his foibles every day than to set your eye upon the systematic dissolution of this country. That is hard. So the ratings are great because we're stirring up shit. And no, the country doesn't like us because, one, they know we stir up shit. Two, in the face of that ever-fading audience, we've taken a partisan position on things. And I don't think the country appreciates it. You have uh, you have a lot of formal training in journalism at University of Michigan, Berkeley, graduate studies, uh, and then you also have a, a lot of this other interesting stuff on your resume. You know, worked at a, a, a cannery in Alaska and, and a slaughterhouse, and all of these other different jobs. Which one helps you be a best better journalist? Which 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 path? 
both. You know, I mean, you know, we all seek. Here we go. Let me get my soapbox here. Okay, get it on. We all seek to be better people, right? That's the goal before God takes uh, the life that you owe him back. So, you know, I'm a New York Times guy. I'm proud of that. I worked for Fox. I'm proud of my time there. I'm proud to be from a blue-collar, rust-belt area. It, it, makes, it, it makes me what I am. But I will tell you this. <laughs> the journalism I decide to do is almost autobiographical. You know, I will work in a slaughterhouse. I will, I, as a real person, you know, I work in the canneries and on the boats and in factories. I suppose, one, I don't want to forget where I'm at. And two, if the shit ever hits the fan, that I know that my fingernails are, you know, not too proud to get dirty. So, you know, I'm in Detroit. I'm, I'm just doing my, my own thing, keeping an eye on my government. And I'm also a handyman. So, you know, I fix foundations and refrigeration units and mop floors and, you know, um, plunge toilets that junk, constipated junkies have clogged up. Mm-hmm. I'll do it because I want, I want my people to know I'm with them. And, you know, I, I, I just got back from Europe, from Poland. And, uh, you know, where these books are popular because there's a lot of Polish blood running through the American soul, right? Right. And they're afraid of war. I said, war with who? They said, war with the self. I think we're afraid of that. I think Germany's afraid of that. Italy, Hungary, uh, uh, Beijing, uh, Rio de Janeiro. I mean, the whole world is a shit show. Why? Well, you're looking at it right now, and I do want to get into this with you about the the issue of trade we have going on with China right now, and and the trade war, and the farmers that are being hurt by tariffs. Uh, yet there, you have people stepping up and saying it's about time we we do something so that they stop taking our our patents and and uh, and all of our intelligence and and using that for their own purposes. And we really, it, it seems like people have less and less control as we go more and more global. Right. That's, that's a fact. And, and, uh, you know, there's more people being born every day. It's getting crowded. It's getting hot. It's getting, it's getting real uptight, but that is true. And I I will ask you the question. You don't have to answer it. I feel that way. I feel we created the Chinese monster for the cheap labor. It didn't work for Detroit. I'm telling you that right now. It sure didn't. But, um, the Chinese are manipulating currency. They are stealing intellectual property. You know what I mean? So it's now or never. If it's, is it going to be free trade or is it going to be, you know, fake trade? Mm-hmm. Is it, are, are we going to eat ourselves to death? I mean, the, the imbalance, the trade imbalance is at an all time high. The national debt is at an all time high. The deficits we're running yearly are at an all time high during expansion era. Right. So where's this going? I'm I studied economics and they tell me I don't understand them that, (laughs) you know, national economics and global economics are not like household economics. But how do we pay this back? You know, there's no room left for our children to invest in. You know, I don't know. You look how fast technology is changing. What what are we going to need? Right. The jobs of the future, the future haven't been created yet. The jobs they'll have, our kids will have probably haven't been created yet. Right. So, I mean, if, if the government, if, if this 5G stuff works out, how are we going to lay all that? We're going to leave it. We're going to leave it to 
companies, capitalism. Great, right. okay. But why does our government, uh, basically state and local stuff, increasingly behave like socialists, and they pick winners and losers and give them subsidies? We're subsidizing a company's profits when we don't have money for schools. So why, why do we engage in that? Like, where is this going? Everybody's confused. And you'd and like to dangerous. think the government is us. I mean, there are people from us that are elected to government. You, you wonder what happens between election day and, and policy. Yeah, well, wake up, ladies and gentlemen. Here's the shit show. The very rich run things, and they spend copious amounts of dollars around these, you know, the very highly constructed shit show national statewide elections to warp your mind. Right. Everybody now is is let me put it this way. You're on Facebook, right? Right. You, you, you ever see Joe Sixpack talking about the efficacy of the Federal Reserve, the, the fiat currency system? Not like, so much. What are you talking about, yeah. dude? That takes years to understand that stuff. And all of a sudden you've absorbed a, a talking point and you're willing to uh, go to cultural war over it. Come on, bro. Right. We're, we're all brothers and sisters. Talk to me about, uh, you and I have talked about some kind of heavier issues and issues that you address in, in Shit Show, your book. Uh, talk to me a little bit about your background and your training. I'm interested in, in, in Charlie and your style. I mean, where did, how did you develop that? I mean, it sounds like it was just kind of organic from your life experiences. But you, from the very beginning, told stories in a very different way. I mean, they won you a Pulitzer, the New York Times, and then, and then you made the switch to television. Um, Talk to me about how you developed your style, what you wanted to say with those stories and through those stories, and how you were a conduit. That's a good question. But first of all, can I ask you one? Sure. Did, and be honest. Did you like? Do you like the book? I did like the book. You know, like I said, because it it, it was. It, it, it reminded me of when I was a night reporter in Denver and after the show, we'd all go sit in a bar somewhere and we'd talk about, you know, stuff we had done, stories we had done that meant something to us in the past and why they meant things to us. And we'd be there till two, three o'clock in the morning talking. So that, that's what Isn't it felt like. I lo- it's, all, it's the old war horses in the bar. So right? fun. Getting yeah. wrinkly t- and just talking about life. Right. Like, and what, what the greatest job in the world. Stories where you were maybe scared as hell, but looking back on them, they're great stories. Right. You know, I mean, just a great life. And, and now it's all collapsing into, like, term papers. Everybody writes it like it's a term paper now. Like, you know, it's a Harvard exam. And one person does the work, and then there's 10,000 websites commenting on the work. It's like, man... I got five minutes on the toilet, bro. Let's go. <laughs> what do I need to know today, right? Right, right. And and I, so, I do, I feel bad for a lot of younger people getting into the business now because I think, gosh, we just had so much fun and we traveled and we, uh, you know, we were down there on the border and they we were in other countries and they just don't send, especially local TV people, anywhere like that anymore. Yeah, and it's sort of like going to a cocktail party at one in the morning and all the booze is gone. Right. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> what happened, man? Right. But so here's the thing, and and then you, you need to you need to serve your master, your boss. There's a particular way that they want it, right? It doesn't matter that the public doesn't want it that way, or they're leaving in droves because the bosses are just trying to hold on to a job until retirement. Make no waves. Don't don't think proactively or how how people want it, or you know you don't want to give people what they want. But you want to give it to them how they want it. Right, because the money's gone. The money's gone, Charlie. I mean, you have news deserts all throughout the Midwest where people can't oh even get a local God. piece of news. You're not kidding. Now, here's the thing about that. 
and we'll get back to my, my form. The, the local media is way more important than the national media because all politics is local. For instance, we elect representatives. That club goes to Washington, right? So it's our club, your Idaho's club, Michigan's club, California's club. They divide it up. They take their portion of the pie and they go home. And then it gets lost because, you know, the national media does a pretty good job, right? Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, New York Times, et cetera. But nobody's tracking what's going on in St. Louis or nobody's left to really challenge the situation in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And people want that. And that's where, you know, your tax money goes to Washington. Washington sends it back to the state. The state sends it to the school district. And voila, that federal orange juice program turned into orange drink. And nobody knows why. Right. And that's, that's how it goes. And people are left not with a, a local source. One local story we did here recently, a little tiny town called Galt. All the business owners, their garbage rates went up. Uh, a woman was paying $500 a month, and now this month she got a bill for $3,500. City signed a new and contract. And, yeah, and so that's what we're digging into to find out why that happened, who looked at the contract, who signed the contract, who's providing the service, how they got those prices. But that's not that doesn't happen very often. People are left wondering why their bills are going up and what's happening in their community. And that's a small, tiny thing compared to what's going on in Flint or some of the areas that you've covered. Yeah, you know, it was David Simon, who's an old, old Baltimore Sun uh, crime reporter. You know, he ended up doing Homicide. You remember, you might know The Wire from HBO, one of the greatest right, television right. shows ever. He said these are the halcyon days. Until journal- It's going to take a decade or two for journalism the press, I don't even want to say the media, I want to say the press, there's a difference, right? The media mm-hmm. wears girdles and makeup and the press rolls up their sleeves and gets in there. Um, it's going to be the halcyon days for corruption because there's no one to hold them to account. And I never started in this business to be the, you know, right the wrongs, uh, afflict the comfortable and the comfort the afflicted. I just was, was doing what you, what you said. Yeah, man, that was cool. Let's get a drink. Guess what I did? Right. I get to talk to people, write cool stories, and get paid. Mm-hmm. The way I, I got to that was this. I was at Berkeley, Cal Berkeley, Graduate School of Journalism, great place. I'm so glad I did it. And if you're thinking about going to one, go there. <laughs> but I'm sitting there in the boot camp, the J200, Journalism 200, introduction to you know newspaper writing. And my colleagues, my student colleagues, like they had already worked for the New York Times. One guy's spoke five languages, right? They were teaching you very, you know, intense intellectual type writing. And I hated it. And I said, I'm never going to make it. Never, never, never going to make it. Mm. It's not, I can't do it. And then it just clicked that I'm going to write to the voice in my head. Just like you're hearing me now, I try to write that way. And after a couple of weeks of this, maybe a couple of months, I'm going to drop out that Professor Lydia Chavez brings a collection of clippings from a guy from the L.A. Times who wrote about the crack epidemic in New York City, except this guy embedded himself. He slept in the crack houses. He went around with a junkie trying to get help. And I looked at that and I said, this can be done. It could be done. And then totally by accident, I got an internship with the New York Times. Nobody else even offered me one. <laughs> nobody. Sacramento B, nobody. Mm-hmm. This little podunk paper from New York City offered me 10 weeks. 
And I did it that way. And I was sent out on July 4th to, you know, get some material for the main writer. It's called your legs. You're the leg man. Go get some. And I, I came across a community of uh, transvestite prostitutes on the west side of Manhattan living on the piers. And I wrote it and because uh, they weren't going to write it. So they said, you go ahead and write that. I wrote it and I made the back of the New York Post. There was a guy that used to just rip on the Times, right? said, the sliding standards of the New York Times, look at this garbage. Mm-hmm. And the executive editor of the, of the New York Times, Joe Lelleville, walks up to my desk, the intern, the nobody, and he tossed the paper at my desk. He said, have you seen this? I said, no, sir. And he says, congratulations. It took me 10 years to make that call. <laughs> <laughs> Badge of honor. Yeah, and so, you know, that old school guy, what's old school is new school. And what is new school can be old school. Like Dan Rather in the 50s, right? He was a local reporter in Texas. They had arrested a jazz musician with heroin. Well, you didn't know what it was, Dan Rather. So Dan Rather went down to the local sheriff's office with his camera, with a doctor, and they injected him with heroin and filmed what happened to him. Mm. That's, I mean, you wouldn't, who's taking Oxycontin? Today? I don't even right. know what it does to you. Do you? N- no. <laughs> I mean, I know the stories, but like, you know, I'm thinking maybe I should try one because, you know, my sister was a drug addicted prostitute who was killed on the west side of Detroit. If I care about those people, they're my people. And if this legalized narcotic has turned our loved ones into walking skeletons, well, Number one, how, what's the attraction? What does it do? Right. That's, that's how I, I try to think about things, and that's what this book is about. So you, you really do see me get in there. You wrote, you started writing like, like you were here, like your voice in your head, like you were hearing it in your head. So that, that's kind of takes me up through newspaper. Talk to me about television. Cause the story when, when Charlie LaDuff came onto my radar was the story that you did on the Detroit river where you took people down the river and showed them different points down the river and how it become, became contaminated. And you write in your book about, uh, Detroit police fishing bodies out of the river as fishermen overhead just kept on fishing. Yeah. And well, that- what, what I did, what did, did the, the, I, I canoed. I didn't take anybody down. I took you with me. Yes, yes, you took us with viewer, you. I, I canoed the most polluted uh, river in the state of Michigan, and it actually goes down the heart of Detroit. And so, you know, we're going we're gonna to do an ecological story, but we're going to do it in a rock and roll way, you know, through the steel plants and the, and the housing lots and the apartment blocks and the sewers and, um, Basically, the reason I did that story is because I needed something to do. Because <laughs> if you, you don't come up with a story, the boss is going to give you something, right? Some piece of shit you Some don't want to do. cat fashion show. <laughs> right. So, you know, I've also go- golfed across the city of Detroit before bankruptcy to take a, a look at the inside of it where, you know, the media won't go. So I, what I try to do, it was the same with newspapers as it was with TV. I'm not going to make anything that I wouldn't watch. You know, I mean, I don't really consume local TV news, and I don't think many people do, uh, except for habit in the morning. It's, you, it, you can't take it. Murder, 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 rape, kitten. Right, right. right. And uh, for the listener, let me tell you why we do murder. Not because not murder sells. That's not why we do it at all. 
We do murder because it's easy to make, it's quick, and it's profitable. It fills airtime. Beginning, middle, end, right? Uh, he came, he was shot, he died. Here's some police tape. Here's a police official with a quote. Here's a woman at the end of the block crying, saying he had so much life to live. And you can, you can flip that pancake in about 20 minutes. Right? That's, that's why. You know that. Right. Right. That's, that's local TV newsrooms all over the country. That's exactly right. So I come into it like this. Boss, if you give me a little, little leash, I promise you I will work outwork everybody. I will stay up till two in the morning in my basement reading these, these contracts, these executive summaries, these reports. And I will turn that into, dare I say, infotainment. I will, I will supply for you, dear watcher, the reason why we can't catch the murderer, right? Or why the abandoned school is still standing where the person was killed, or why we can't educate our kids. And I will not go to the power or the public officials with a question that I don't already have an idea what the answer is. You're not going to give me empty bullshit because you're offending my people, my neighbors, right? My community. I'm not going to hold a megaphone for you to bullshit. They're done with that. I'm done. And I won't waste my life doing it. So if I'm in Ferguson, and everybody's, you know, using a long lens, right? Like, you know, a thousand yards away. Look at them. Look at the animals stealing uh, hair extensions, right? Okay, I guess that's easy. We're walking into it. Oh, and this very tall, handsome, rugged, masked, and armed black man is trying to stop people from looting. He's admonishing them. They don't live in the neighborhood. He's telling them this doesn't get justice or peace. And then they, they threaten, they, they, they invite him to shoot them, which he will not do. And the police will, will not come. And I just really thought that young, rugged, handsome man is what we, the people, are all about. And that out of something horrible, something very positive came out of it, which is a recollection of your better instincts. That's what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a lot of people like to say that there aren't very many good reporters. The younger reporters are coming in. They don't, they don't understand the field. I think this BS. I think we have a lot of good reporters. I don't think they're given the opportunity um, or, or the apprenticeship training or anything to be able to do the kind of journalism that needs to be done in the country. Where do you see the industry going? I mean, could you fix it if you wanted to? I think you can. There's only two rules. There's two rules. Get it right. Right. That's the the insurmountable number one in icing. Get it right. The second rule, which can never supplant the first rule, but it is a second rule, is don't be boring. Get it right. Have some credibility and don't be boring. So young people, you know, just. Yeah, it's it's hard because they got rid of the old people and the old people can't teach the young people. And you might wonder what I mean by that. Simple stuff. Where do I? Where's the? Where do I go in the courthouse to get that case? They'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know anything about that mayor and 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 that scandal. But it's it's being mentioned. What what was that? You like you said. You go out to the bar, have a beer, 
the, right. the old gal fucking remind. Excuse my language. <laughs> That's okay. It's she, podcast. She, she reminds you. She informs you. Right. Tells you where to go. Gives you a phone number. Uh-huh. There's there's some ancient eighty five year old that lived through it. Right. All of a sudden, you got yourself a podcast with really, you know, like, it's like Crime Town. That podcast. Right. Go go dig up the seventies. It's it, awesome. It is, but, and it is a, a shame. Doesn't know how to do it. It's a shame that the the older people aren't there because that was always every new newsroom I went into. I found the oldest, craggiest ex marine I could find in the newsroom and just sat at his knee and asked him, peppered him with questions. Yeah, or you know, remember when I remember I was at the New York Times and John Gotti Jr. You know, got got bond, and there were twenty people that put up their houses, but you can't be a person associated with with. Um, organized crime or they won't take your house as bond. So they dumped the paperwork on me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> I got to go knock on John Gotti's pals doors and figure out who they are. <laughs> and I did it. And it was, you know, it leads wow. to like, it leads to like, uh, the driver for, uh, uh, Paul Castellano gets wiped out in, the, in his front yard and adding to the gore was the fact that he had two Mason jars full of stewed tomatoes. Right. So those exploded all. And I didn't know how to write this. And that old craggy guy, the guy that I love, said, go with the tomatoes. Mm. You understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just go with the tomatoes. You got it. Go write it. Start with the tomatoes. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, for the young people, just just go with the tomatoes. But make sure that you go to every one of those houses. And when you're tired and you go, well, I went to 18, you say to yourself, Two more doors, man. Well, the boss won't let me. Then go do it on Saturday. Because it's your name, it's your work, it's your legacy, it's your pride. Just outwork them. I love it. I love it. Okay, so um, before I let you go, what's next for you? What's next for Charlie DeBuff? I don't want to go. Well, this has been fun. I know. We should just crack a beer. (laughs) My mayor's a scumbum. I'm going to go after him. I I got a podcast that's taken off, and uh, the mayor's predecessors coming on to give me an assessment. Um, working on a documentary. I, I might go to Europe, you know, I might do Shiza's show because I just got back. And it, like I said before, the whole world's got a Trump. Poland's got a Trump. Italy's got a Trump. Germany. What's going on? Yeah. Didn't the so, Ukraine just elect a comedian? Yes. Yeah. You're, you're laughing at us. Well, see, they thought we're something special. And I say, Hey man, my daughter has Polish blood in her. We're just of you. We're of the world. We're from Mexico. You know what I mean? We're from Germany. So we, the Americans aren't really, and, and the Europeans aren't taking a serious look at the streets of Europe. So why don't I go over there and work as an illegal immigrant? Hmm. Mm, I like I it. That, right? I, I like it. I do. I actually, I have a daughter who immigrated to another country, so she's she's kind of in the in the rough of that right now. But I I want to see it. Laduff Unleashed International. Yes. Why not? They say to me, "Well, the American audience, uh, you know, really doesn't get into stories from other countries." I say, "Then explain Anthony Bourdain to me." Oh, right. We're not My stupid. Gosh. You know, I got to talk stupid. to you. We're just bored. I got to talk to you about Anthony Bourdain because that was, um, I know he was on your show. You had a chance to spend some time with him. I mean, what, uh, what an amazing personality and, and what a sad way to go. Yeah. Well, see, I knew Tony a while. His mother, Gladys, was my copy editor at the New York Times. 
Wow. And so she, she introduced us before Kitchen Confidential hit. She said, you remind me of my son. You remind me of my son, Tony. Tony's a cool guy. And then, you know, Tony goes off and does his stuff. Tony was, what I think, what we all look at ourselves to be. Like, we're cool people, right? Just cool, debonair. Mm-hmm. Like to party a little bit. We get along. We're men and women of the world. That's, but remember his life. He's divorced. He's not really seeing his kid. He's the only guy on that show that's on the road 300 days a year. Everybody else is switching out. Uh, you drink. That's a, that's a depressant, right? Your new girlfriend's a lunatic, and you're caught up in the Harvey Weinstein stuff, and you're just alone. I, 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 don't, I don't suppose to guess what's in his head, but I know my life. I know where I was when I got the call. I was in Denver on this book tour, you know, a couple of empty bottles of beer. You know, it's one of those drink yourself to sleep. You're in a strange place again, and you're depressed. Mm. And, you know, you've got dozens of people hanging on to you for a living. How do you get out? Right. I, I chose the other way. I just walked. Wow. Well, th- and, and, and good thing you did. I mean, and, and I look forward to your work, uh, your podcast, uh, your book, Shit Show. Uh, the country's collapsing. The ratings are great. Charlie Laduff, thank you so much for spending so much time with me. I appreciate it. It's been well, great I'm to really get to know you. you. Call me. I mean, this, this is cool. Awesome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Charlie Laduff. I sure did. His book is called Shit Show, The Country is Collapsing and the Ratings are Great. You can check out his projects on charlieleduff.com as well. And check out some of my past episodes of A Fresh Agenda, including episode 66 with former Cosmo editor Kate White. She is a fiction author as well. 13th book is uh, out last month and she is coming to Northern California by the way. It's an event that I'm involved with and I'll be chatting about this much more very soon but you've got to come see her live in Northern California when she visits in a few months. And drop me a note anytime through ChristinaMendonca.com or on social. I'm on all the platforms and catch me on the KFBK Morning News Monday through Friday 5 a.m. till 9 a.m. on 93.1 FM 1530 a.m. or on your iHeartRadio app. And thanks again so much for being here. This has been A Fresh Agenda. I'm Christina Mendonca. Let's stay connected. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity. This is A Fresh Agenda.